Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Thank you for sharing your time with us. We so appreciate that. I want to first thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. He and his wife are native storytellers, and they have preserved their history, their cosmology, their traditions, and their magic in stories that they have shared through generations. Uh, it's an amazing way of providing historical information to the next generation and it's certainly uh, a mode that would probably benefit us even better than the written word in some of our textbooks which kind of go out of style real fast as soon as they're published for sure do check them out it's Ken Quiethawk and you just have to look up native storytellers on Google and you will find him he's an amazing man tonight's show is a very special one it's one that I'm very excited about because I have had Rebecca on the show, um, well, three years ago, and and I have been fascinated by her work. Let me give you a little backup here. If you could see into the future and saw imminent danger to all humans, what would you do? Futurist Rebecca Hardcastle-Wright is one of those rare individuals who has the capacity to look into the crystal ball of hard empirical data and recognize the dangers looming in our collective future. Her startling recommendation is that we reject the coming singularity of transhumanism, which feeds upon the theft of our consciousness and independence. She proposes we adopt a radical new concept of what it means to be truly human or exoconsciousness before it's too late. Her book is an important and serious roadmap for the future conservation of our species. Her book, Exoconsciousness Humans, Will Free Will Survive in an Increasingly Non-Human World, pushes beyond the limits of the known into an extraordinary life birthed through psychic intelligence. 
Exoconsciousness is a natural state seated in our ancient and innate cosmic consciousness. She emphasizes the significant role of exoconscious humans in our personal and planetary future. She offers nothing less than a solution for stepping outside our limited view of humans and into an expansive and available intelligence and creativity. Throughout the book, she shares her background in psychic experiences and her voyage into the curious, artificial world of transhumanism. Uh, it is such a pleasure to have her on the show again. She is a constant source of amazing information, insight, and uh, I think that you're going to thoroughly enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you, Barb. What a, what a wonderful um introduction and I so look forward to um, our conversation tonight. I think it's, it's becoming more and more important every day. <laughs> well, it, it, it really is. And, and I think that, you know, before before we even dive headfirst into this, which, which you know, you know if, if we were just sitting and talking, we'd be hipping it already. But for those who don't understand the two terms, exoconsciousness and transhumanism, let's define those so people understand what we're talking about. Okay. So exoconsciousness is a term that I um, – it was given to me, actually, through, a, through an event, a personal event, and we can talk about that also if you want to. But um, it's, it's changed definitions over the years. Uh, one time it was more academic. Today it's more practical, and we're defining exoconscious as the innate, innate. So all humans have this innate human ability to connect, communicate, and co-create with ETs and multidimensionals. And by multidimensionals, I mean um, that would be an energy, an orb, an angel. So it would be a being that it just holds an energetic space, could be multidimensionally holding that energetic space. And extraterrestrial for me means uh, um, a being that comes from another planet that has a timeline, has a history, has a planetary geography, um, very much like humans uh, in, in, in that respect, um, maybe has different capacities, different tendencies, brings different energetics but has the same um, timeline and timeline, time, space type of consciousness that we have in some respect. Okay. And transhumans would be the, um, the, the scientific belief that um, by using science and engineering, we will be able to um, enhance and advance um, humans. So it would be any kind of um, genetic engineering tied to geoengineering, uh, tied to nanomedicine, for example, is a new is a new field within transhumanism. So it would be um, this cyborgian type of pathway where um, a cyborg is. Uh, is a combination of a human and a robot, so it's a roboticized human. Um, humans working side by side with robots. Um, the distinction, uh, one of the biggest distinctions between exoconscious humans and transhumans are that exoconscious humans um, believe that our 
our consciousness is in our uh, our DNA, our body, our neural system, our brain, and very importantly, it's a field in which we participate outside of our body. So we go into this field where we receive information and energetics, and that's one of the key ways that we live our life. Uh, transhumans, on the other hand, uh, are creating an artificial field of, of consciousness that's more of a, a cybernetics, so a steered field. Uh, it will be a field that will be engineered and steer, steered. It's a, it's, a, it's a closed loop, and uh-huh. um, humans will be part of the machine at that point, part of the, the machine. The field, so, so the field would be a field of shared human and machine. Okay. I, you know, when I was reading through the book and everything, I kept getting the feeling that for me, and, you know, I guess everybody's definition is going to be a little bit different, but for me, the exoconsciousness had more to do with the spiritual essence of, of linking to cosmic consciousness, to other, to other consciousnesses out there, and, and the, the transhumanism took away from, for, for a great deal, it took away from the creative, the spiritual essence that, that we have available to, to us. I mean, obviously there is, a, there is going to be, obviously, a blending of the two. It can't be one without the uh, it, they're going to They're going to coexist. It's a, mat, it's a matter of how do they coexist. Absolutely. Probably another name for exoconsciousness is cosmic consciousness. I think that's a more ancient name for it. I, I, was, uh-huh. just, I was given this word exoconsciousness, and I, I've... Um, it's interesting that, that the, the way it came to me was the same way about 10 years later that it came to a man in Brazil. <laughs> he had the identical, ah. <laughs> the identical experience that I did. But, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I would say not only is exoconsciousness spiritual, but it's also multidimensional. So we're talking about multidimensional mind, the ability to live in you know, many different dimensions. And we can get into that later, how that, how we can begin to look at that. But yes, I would say multidimensional where um, transhumanism is more capturing everything. So um, our biology, our belief system, our emotions, you know, through, through memes, um, our spiritual side, through it, immortality, you can live forever, all of that captured in uh, actually a rather flat kind of um, closed loop. Uh, it, yeah, it, uh, the transhumanism almost seemed to me like it was one-dimensional. I mean, it, it, yes. the, the essence of creativity in a transhuman state would only have the material to draw on at whatever was inputted. And in in exoconsciousness, you have the ability to to reach outside of yourself and be multidimensional and get creativity from other sources. So that so that it it to me it was the transhumanism. While I understand, you know, computers and science and all of that are are necessary, obviously. Um, but it's it's if you try to go 
it's sort of like a teeter-totter. If you can stay right as the fulcrum in the middle and get the best of both worlds, you're fine. But if you tend to go one direction or the other, you're out of balance, and that tends to, to you know, send you in a, in a loop that, that can be never-ending. Well, that's what Steiner refers to as Armon. You know, I'm sure you've probably done shows on, on uh, Rudolf Steiner, but the transhuman would push back at you with that definition and say that we don't really know what um, AI and deep learning and um, artificial intuition is going to be creating. So they, they would argue back that um, there's, there's facets of reality that a computer can create through this artificial intelligence that a human can't create. And that may or may not be true. I, I don't know at this point. But what I do know is true is that if you, as an exoconscious human, that my ability, my ability to use my psychic intelligence and go out into the, this open, free, free will field of consciousness uh, will never be uh, replicated completely by, by a computer program or by deep learning or in, in any of those. I'm, it just, if, if you look at every, every society, um, China is a phenomenal example of it. When you look at the history of what China brought to the world prior to being kind of locked into this social control system that they're locked in where they're just building little toys or whatever or, or, doodahs to sell to the West, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, the invention of paper, the invention of, of currency. I mean, China was incredibly um, creative. And then it just, it's, it all fell away. And that's, that's exactly, and I, I think that the transhumanists are aware of this and that's why they use so much propaganda. They have to use propaganda to spin these almost um, gamer, gamer-like um, realities in mm-hmm. order to get people to buy into it and, uh, and, and assent to it and say that, oh, yeah, this is, this is cool. This is so much cooler than being a natural human, you know, whether it be a TikTok or um, in your news feed or, or certainly uh, Netflix movies. They're, they're the, like the prime example of it. Uh, that this is this is going to be the coolest thing that we could ever imagine, and and what they don't show you is the reality behind that. So let's just imagine that we see one of these shows on Netflix where we have these big, you know, a room filled with a room-sized computer screen, and they're and they're and they're poking and punching and moving things all around, and it just that they're going all over the globe, and it looks absolutely exciting and. And all these algorithms are, are churning away and, you know, the, the, the good guys are fighting the bad guys. When the reality of artificial intelligence is that um, there's a lot of slave labor to it. <laughs> and those people are actually called ghost workers. And those ghost workers are the humans that get paid maybe 15 maybe $20 an hour tops. And they do all of the backroom work to make sure that um, AI can function properly. Well, I think that you never hear about them. (laughs) No. Um, I think the thing that that bothers me about AI 
is that in many ways, you know, I see kids who are so attached to their cell phones they can't look up when they're walking and they walk into walls. I see it feels to me as though it takes away aspects of what makes us human that are important, learning how to research, learning how to communicate, getting together with other people. And, you know, we'll forget there's a pandemic, but, but the, the element of, of um, being able to uh, be creative, I, the, the creative stuff is what gets to me because, you know, it used to be you would go to the library if you wanted to research something. Now you just talk into your phone. And there's an essence that, that, that has been taken away from the generation that is now growing up that they will never understand what it is to research, what it is to dig for information, what it is to, you know, um, have to look for answers to problems. I, it just it bothers me greatly. I, you know, I was a school teacher for 25 years. I'm seeing this generation being dulled down in many places where, where it should be, you know, perked up, so to speak. Well... Part of transhumanism is it's, it's really what's called technocracy, which I'm sure that you read about in, in the book. And we uh-huh. can talk about what technocracy means. But one of the reasons why um, young people, their heads are in the phone, is because in order to function in the way life has been constructed now, especially, constructed, especially since COVID, is you don't need to go to the library. You don't need to engage with other humans that everything that you need to function successfully in life is on that phone and in that computer and in that game. And that, that was a program that was designed, uh, my research in the book had it going back to World War I, <laughs> post-World War I, to get, to get uh, humans... Um, attracted to this loop of, of, of information and data to, to make it uh, very sexy and cool and very appealing in all ways. Well, I, I have and to they admit, succeed, you know, they succeeded. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, you know, as big a user as everybody else is. But, but it's sort of like there, there is something – in in transhumanism, I mean, the the, the nanotechnology, the the ability to um, to 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 replicate parts of the human body to be able to, I mean, they're they're, they're def- I mean, I definitely see the benefit to it, but at the same time, um, it's taking away from our our natural abilities. From it's taking us away from nature. So, again, there needs to be a balance, and I, I don't know if there is a balance in the world at this point in time as far as the two go. Um, it's, it's a very the, – the, the technology that is out there is just phenomenal. And yet, in, in one way, it, it depends – I think what really it depends upon is how is this technology, as it's used, is, is it used for the benefit of mankind or is it used for – other kinds of technology that are possibly not to the benefit of humankind. 
Well, directly, that question goes into the type of ethics that are used. And, yeah. you know, they they use a different type of ethics. But the, the, I, I think the root of your question is really the root of my question. And what, you know, it's one of the reasons I get up every morning is why why does natural human consciousness need this? this AI, this artificial intelligence, this transhumanism, in order to advance. There's, I mean, once again, you know, Steiner and many, you know, mystery schools, theosophy, talked about how we, we were going to move through this age of transhumanism and this artificial field that would, would, would they, as they describe it, trap human souls and divert us from becoming a, a higher species, that this, this trap that was laid, I, I don't know why it's, why it's there. I'm, I'm trying to understand the purposes of it, and I'm trying to understand what it is in the, in the, in the, in the composition that makes us human that we need for this to happen in order to break into this, this, this new world. I mean, some in the mystery schools claim that as we come through this time uh, and, and navigate it successfully, that humans will be like unto archangels. I can uh-huh. totally see that. I, I, can, I can see humans who navigate this successfully being that and, and having that kind of confidence in their soul and their spirit. In, 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 their, in their physical body, in, in the capabilities of their natural, their natural biology. And yet, transhumanism is here. So there, there, I, I don't know all of the layers that are connecting the two. I think we're all, we, we all have to live into it and experience it because that's spirituality. It's always a journey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a journey of, uh, you know, as much as we'd like to have it be this, you know, Pollyanna, um, <laughs> pink filled balloon journey, it's not. It's hard. And this will probably be, um, in modern history, one of the most challenging um, times that humans have ever lived through spiritually. Because if you look at, you know, I come from a religious background, so I went to seminary and I'm ordained in the United Methodist Church and I, have a, I worked as, a, as a, an interfaith uh, campus chaplain for many years at a campus in Ohio at Rice State University. And I have um, you know, a lot of friends in the Catholic Church and in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the, and the Jewish religion and actually in Islam. And every one of them has capitulated to to uh, transhumanism. <laughs> and, you know, there's little splinter groups that haven't. But if you look at it through the lens of the, of the COVID vaccine and the nanotechnology and the COVID vaccine, they've all capitulated, including, including uh, uh, the Dalai Lama. Wow. Including the have- Dalai Lama. You don't go to the... To the uh, to the Vatican unless you're you're double vaxxed. <laughs> wow. Now, I, I have the same kind of background. I'm ordained and I've served in the pulpit too. And, you know, 
it's it's kind of like I look at the potential for human humanity and human consciousness, and you know you can develop the ability to reach outside of not only yourself but this reality and into other dimensions. There is you know we have the capacity to do that as humans natural humans with no technology um there have been those that have been able to translocate there have been those that have been able to levitate there are those that have developed the skills to be able to do all sorts of phenomenally wonderful things and it's a matter of it's a matter of practice and work and development and all of that stuff but but without the aid of technology they've been able to do this uh, the Buddha was able to translocate himself mm-hmm. from one side of the river to the other side of the river mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye. Um, mm-hmm. So um, Jesus walked on water. Now, I can do that, but it has to be frozen. Um, right. So, so you know, it, it's, it's stuff that, that, that we can do, that, we, that, that, that the potential is there. Now, will transhumanism avail us of that? benefit um you know instead of instead of just translocating you have to say beam me up yeah um is that a good thing i don't know uh i look at communication with other realms are are you asking if transhumanism will allow us to do these spiritually advanced actions i would say no well yeah that's where i am and and it's sort of like you know, transhumanism. I mean, the science is trying to to con- connect to other species, realms, worlds, dimensions. But but exoconsciousness people can already do that. Yes. Now now I can't grow a hand if I lose my hand at this moment in time. But I would imagine that the capacity is there in my DNA. Mm-hmm. If you take a look mm-hmm. at the aura. Even if you cut my hand mm-hmm. off, my hand is still there energetically. Mm-hmm. So that, so that, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't understand why people aren't investigating into us doing it for ourselves instead of looking for science to to do it for us. Um, but but you know which side of the, the the court I'm on with all of this. I mean, it's obvious that I'm transhumanism scares me. So, um, you know, I I well, am maybe. hopeful that. Go ahead. Maybe what we're looking at um, in terms of this this navigation of of transhumanism, maybe spiritually what we're looking at, and this is just a guess, that um, traditionally in in most of human history that we know of, it's certainly not I'm not necessarily talked about Atlantis or Lemuria or Mu or whatever, but certainly in you know our our recent human history. Um, mm-hmm. there have only been spiritual adepts, saints, spiritual adepts, you know, archa- archangels, whatever, that have been yeah. able, bodhisattvas, that have been able to have these higher spiritual powers. Now, maybe what we're looking at with having to navigate transhumanism, you know, that which doesn't kill you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> saves you. So maybe maybe what we're looking at in this process is uh, is 
is more of a mass consciousness, a mass identification of the spiritual abilities that were at one time only eligible, the only eligible people, the belief system was the only eligible people were the adepts of of whatever Uh religion. And maybe that's what we're going to end up with. That's where I'm aiming in my work. So what I'm trying to do, Barbara, at this point, it's the only thing that makes sense to me is, so I like to study science. I like to, I like to inve- investigate. So every time I investigate something, like say the brain, so I've done looked into brain science for for years, or DNA. Uh-huh. Every time I study those, I take those kernels of knowledge that science and engineering and mathematics has brought to me, and I take that and I use that to say, okay. If this is true about us biologically, for example, with DNA, I just did a, a doing a talk on this in, in Brazil uh, next month. If this is true about our human DNA, and it's been proved by scientists today, then why can't we? Um, I call it transmute. Why can't we transmute that knowledge into exoconscious humans and begin to apply it? So instead of applying it, so kind of goes back to your comment, you know, why not apply it for, for, for the benefit and advancement of natural human consciousness and biology? Uh-huh. Why not apply it to that? And that's what I'm doing. And more and more comes to the fore as I do it. And I'm, I'm not the only one doing it. I think there are many of us out there that are beginning to see that, oh, some in- interesting information is coming our way, and we can use this for all humankind to benefit from. And then whatever transhumanism is doing with it, that kind of becomes insignificant in a sense, I think, when well, humans I, are I given the option. To. It's just that they're not given the option. Well, you know, with, with transhumanism, it, it feels to me as though it puts you in in a bubble. It feels as though there's a, an essence of mind control. There's an essence of, of being controlled by others. Um, and, and, you know, that I, I, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the, um, the Borg, so, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Star Trek. You know, it, it's like, okay, so we all have this part of us that is connected to a major computer someplace. And does that mean, you know, just because we can draw information from it, it, it also means that it can put information into our into mm-hmm. our venues that we didn't ask for, and yet it's there. I mean, even as, you know... Your favorite, your favorite ice cream is now chocolate, so that you go out and buy chocolate ice cream all the time. But, but it, it, it comes down to the fact that you know, above and beyond that, it can go into it can go ev- into even deeper essences of how you live your life and how you survive, and you become you become a slave to it, and that bothers me. Where's my free will? That's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. That's what what you just laid out is exactly what they're doing. And they already, I mean, Charles Lieber, I'm sure your listeners know about him, the Harvard um, um, 
chemist that was arrested right after COVID was declared in January 2020. He was arrested at Harvard for his work with the Wuhan lab. And he he wasn't a biologist or a virologist. He was a chemist. And what he was really working on was um, brain human brain to computers, connecting human brains to computers so that we will participate in an Internet mind. And that they, they're, the, and he's got patents for the ability to actually insert an operating platform in the human body through this nano, through his nanowires and his nanotransistors. That's kind of like a plug and play application like you have on your computer. Like a plug and play would be um, you, you could hook up a computer monitor, you can hook up a keyboard, a game pad, a joystick, and those can all be uh-huh. inserted into the, as an operating um, platform in the human body. And to, and as you said, to transform us humans into, into cyborgs, uh, a, human, a hybrid human with machine integrations, and then remote, remote control us. Once, once the nanotechnology is in us through um, nanotransistors, through nanowires, through, through um, graphene oxide, I'm sure your people have read a lot about that, you know, once that's in our body, that's the connection begins. <laughs> the connection is well on the way. It goes past the blood-brain barrier, and it's 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 um, moves through your entire uh, vascular system, and that's the purpose of it. And the purpose is not to have free will. The purpose is not to think. The purpose is to be a resource. To have a, as I write about in the book, to have a um, a barcode. You will have a barcode. And so I took the barcode thing. I looked at the barcode, and I'm like, well, they're barcoding our DNA. And yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking at why is DNA barcodable? Well, DNA says it's barcodable because every person's DNA is unique. So not one person on earth has the same DNA. So every person alive today has a barcodable, unique DNA. Now, you take that information, for example, and you say, oh, my DNA is unique. But beyond the fact that my DNA is unique, my DNA can actually fold like, um, you know, like the origami paper folds the kids make when they make the dogs and the flowers out of paper. Our DNA does that. And our DNA self-assembles, so it reorders itself. It goes into different functions and patterns. This is one of the most important properties of our DNA. And it can become stable, so they put this silica. They coat our DNA with silica, and that makes it more, more stable in order to deposit the nanowires and the nanotechnology so that our DNA then becomes programmable and conductive. So it conducts electricity. It sends and receives signals via computer. Well, we are electromagnetic. We're electromagnetic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a done deal. I mean, this isn't new. This isn't new uh, technology. I mean, this is a lot of this is ten, fifteen years old. It's probably older than that because that's how old the patents are. God. So, so, I mean, you know, you talked about them creating avatars for us, in other yeah. words, replicating our bodies. And yeah. 
so then then it's a matter of who is the real us, whether it's the avatar that's mm-hmm. been created for us or is it the physical body that was the original pattern, mm-hmm. and does the avatar have the same abilities that... See, I believe there's something special about each individual, and I don't think it's transferable to an avatar. I really don't. So, you know, these well, people... Well, well... <laughs> okay. I would say a transhuman would disagree with that. But I'm going to back up for a minute just for your listeners. So, you know, when we're talking about avatars, so the basis of avatars, or one of the bases of avatars is that um, in this artificial field of consciousness that's being created, that we will each have a twin. So this was really begun in, at Purdue University called the Sentient World Simulation System. And they began to create a data bank of every individual on the earth. So I would think by now, I don't know, it's probably 15, 20 years old. I think by now I'm sure they have an avatar or um, a data bank of every human on the earth. Now, in terms of the uniqueness, that's, this is where it gets dicey, in my opinion. Mm. So once, once you – so we – we learn a lot about stem cells, and we've learned a lot about, um, like, the, 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 fake, the, the, the fake meats the fake meats that they're selling us. And so a lot of that's done with stem cell and engineering. So if, if you can successfully uh, blockchain and, and, and um, identify the um, – give a barcode to a DNA – so the DNA is already on the barcode, okay? The DNA barcode is then put on a, a, um, a blockchain because it, there's no one computer system that can hold it all. So every different DNA is put on a different, bar, a di- different blockchain, and then that's, you know, connected there then on through the cloud. But that, that artificial DNA that has been barcoded is able to track all all of you, all of your behaviors, all of your emotions, all of your feelings, all of your actions, your behaviors, your psychology. Maybe not perfectly, but it's tracking how you, once again, function, like we were talking about what you need to function in the world. It's tracking how you function in the world, which is part of your essence. Yeah, it's it maybe not part your spiritual of, essence. But. Yeah, th- that's where I was going. I mean, it it's my patterns that I've had through life that I have exhibited certain, you know, an if then type thing or a reaction to certain mm-hmm. situations. That's all that's all pat- patternable patternable. However, yes. my spirit has free will. I can shift and change and alter my perspective in a nanosecond. And that kind of pattern can't anticipate where that would go. It, it can, as with any computer, it, it can look at the past experiences and it can say, you know, this is most probably how she's going to go. But, but, but what if I would diverge from that? So I still think there is an independence here that is not computerized that cannot be computerized well 
once again, to argue the other side, we can, okay. you know, uh, a transhuman would say, you know, we have the God code. We have the God gene. We've already, um, you know, MIT and di- different DARPA and different groups have worked with, uh, quote, religious extremists in, in the Middle East wars, and we've developed this ability to switch on and off the God code that part of our brain that connects us to God. To the, well, he, it could oh. be to the point that that future generation, that, that it's no longer switched on. Well, see, that's it's very, see, that's, very that's, dark that's, and nefarious. That's where, that's where, that's where I'm, uh, that, that's the one place where art, in, in my philosophy, and it, it, it's nobody else's, it's mine, um, our brain is merely the computer that, that the spirit is using to manifest within reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to turn my brain off, go mm-hmm. ahead. My spirit still mm-hmm. is out there working, mm-hmm. working just as hard. So if I you totally turn my God code off, it, does, it doesn't mean that I'm mm-hmm. disconnected. It means that my body is no longer connected. It does not the mean that my is spirit no is not. Yeah, but what I think it see this this brings us around to that you know that quandary I have. Why do we need transhumanism to advance um, public or mass consciousness, advancement of mass consciousness? And it may be just that. It may be that that humans find that I, I would say our brain and our our entire biology is our God code. It's our, it's our spiritual connection. So, and, and that our, our, our spirit can, can exist separate from that. Yeah. But it has a different function on a 3D and in the human body at that point. Oh, yeah. I, I would say that, that everything we are is a manifestation of the spirit that's working yes. through. Yeah. Yes. And so if we're, so if the, if the, I'm, one of the reasons I use the word exoconscious human instead of exoconscious alien or exoconscious ET is because of the human part. To me, I, I think that what, what we're going through is helping us see is the importance of the biology that, as you say, we already possess. It's, it's perfect. What we possess uh-huh. is already, we just need to have function with it better. We need to use it more, more effectively. We need to believe that we can use it more effectively. And, and if, as long as 3D Earth is here, so the third dimensional, you know, in relationship to the first dimension of the core of the Earth, the second dimension of the elementals, so we are 3D. So the plan for transhumanism is that they take over 3D. They take over all bodies. So those, those, those theological arguments of uh, Gnosticism or, you know, the, 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 the body's tainted and, and the spirit is pure are going to, we're going to live through a reckoning of all of those arguments with yeah, our see, physical I, body. See, I, I think... And and again, it's just it's just my philosophy that that our body, the human body, is already an avatar wherein the spirit dwells. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. so that so that you know creating another one is pointless. But 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 <clears throat> but science, you know, there there are so many things that science can do, has done, that that can make life better for all of us. Um, in my simple opinion, though, that that you know when when there is an invention of some sort that that is phenomenal um the powers that be whomever they are tend to try to um weaponize whatever the invention is or hide whatever the invention is because there's other, there are other sources controlling just what it is we can we can develop and manifest and i think that's happening a lot these days because of big pharma and because of the corporations and all of that, I think I truly believe there's a cure for cancer out there, but they're holding it back oh, because, sure. you know. Yeah, I actually worked there's, there's for a doctor as a as a therapist, and he cures cancer. <laughs> He's cured cancer in many people. Cancer is very, very curable. It always has been. It's just the belief system that it's not, and that and the refusal to want to, you know, do what it takes in terms of changing uh-huh. your life and. And you know, purifying your body, but that's this this issue that you bring up of the weaponizing and the manip- and I would say monetizing. So inventions are monetized and weaponized both, oh, and yeah. manipulated. That um, that was one of the the primary things that we were that we've been working on with the Institute for Exoconsciousness because um, the institute sees that if you're if you're a brilliant physicist or a brilliant engineer, you're really the only place you have to go is government. And by that, I mean military, intel, university, uh-huh. that's, or corporation. I mean, it's, there's, that's, that's where you can go. It's almost like that's the artificial transhumanism. <laughs> you know, yeah. Closed loop. That's the only place that you can go. And, and what we've been trying to do is, to just just segment out a small group of those people and say, you know, are you using your psychic abilities, your natural human psychic abilities, creative like you've been talking about, are you using that to bring forth inventions and innovations that can benefit society? And if so, you know, would you be willing to work with a group like us and work outside that confine of, you know, university, corporations, government, military, DARPA or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's it's very slow going because not only do they have, you know, the lion's share of the money, but we're to the point now that communication is becoming so difficult as, you know, in, in terms of censorship that, <laughs> the internet is not ours. <laughs> we do not. We just we just have that on loan, and we can be taken off at any time. So for me, the biggest yeah. one of the biggest issues is how do we, as an exoconscious community, create an alternative internet or something yeah, see, similar yeah. to an alternative internet? See, you're, I mean, transhumanism. Pardon? Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, until we have that alternative internet, 
that can't be hacked by the government or the military or the or the or the tech boys, it's going to be very, very difficult because they control the planet. They control the internet planet. The the satellite rings, that's why it's so important for people to know about geoengineering, to know about satellites, to know about the earth to space infrastructure that I write about in my book. If you don't understand that, then you don't really understand the reality that you're working in. And if you can't if you can't freely communicate, that's a huge problem. Oh my god, yeah. I mean you talked about was it is the earth wall? Is there there's a shield, a wall, a, sh- a satellite? Right, space fence. Yeah, space fence. A space fence. Yeah. You want to go into that a little bit? I know a lot of people haven't heard of that. Uh, okay. Well, that's actually the work of Alana Freeland, um, and um, she that the book that I quote from most predominantly and try to explain is called Under an Ionized Sky, and. Mm-hmm. It's, she has long subtitles under that, but the whole premise of the book is looking at the different layers of of engineering that have gone on um, throughout the, these decades of you know from satellite engineering to um, on down to HARP, um, the high auroral frequency out of out of Alaska. And I think there's like thirty some HARPs around the uh, around the country right now. That those all you know, operate electrically, and that's up in the ionosphere, electro, you know, ionizing the ionosphere, and then down through, you know, what we see every day, especially here in Arizona, the chemtrails. So the chemtrails uh-huh. that are laid down, the, the aluminums that are laid down, the, the barium, the salts, the aluminums that are laid down, once again, salt, silicon, you know, to sort of stabilize everything. Um, down to um, on-the-earth uh, grids, the, the Gwynn towers that that move the weather that the uh, the chemtrails create and then the uh, the massive massive underground installation. So once you understand that's sort of a it's Cliff Notes version of it. But once you understand how that and then of course that the 5G you know 5G 6G comes into this. So once you understand that infrastructure and how it's all encompassing. And um, the military calls it full-spectrum dominance that's, um, that's in operation across our globe, uh, across our planet. Then you understand how transhumanism works, that we will be um, a, 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 an item in that full-spectrum dominance as a transhuman. We will be an item. We will be, we will be a barcoded item on that um, on that on that system and we will be as you say mind controlled we will be told what to buy and it's it's uh links back into um the central bank digital currency uh system where humans are enslaved by their biology through this through this uh synthetic biology through this this nanotechnology and that's that's how it will work and so they call it the internet of biology the internet of behavior goes by a lot of different names. Well, and I mean, we're already... All, we're already... We're so far down the field. Yeah, I was going to say, we're already slaves to our credit cards and our... our, yeah. our you know, I mean, you know, we're already a society that is that is controlled by monetary um, 
needs and and whatever mm-hmm. and i think what what really you know it it feels it sometimes it feels hopeless but but the reality is we still have you know we are in a a transhumanism culture yeah and but we still have have the potential to expand our ex, into an exoconsciousness individuality mm-hmm. so that so that you know and if enough people do that transition into exoconsciousness then then the pendulum swings in the other direction and well and the pendulum I, also swings into cosmic consciousness so that's what's yeah. so important, I think, about the whole idea of exoconsciousness is that you're not only then operating with other humans, but you're also operating them, we say co-creatively, with other extraterrestrials and multidimensionals. So your whole field of function is, is, is just exponentially greater than anything you could ever do with transhumans. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when, when you reach outside of your dimension, when you reach outside of your, your physical reality, there is so much information there. There is so much um, creative inspiration there that you can bring back and incorporate into your life to make the changes in your life to affect other people as well. So, it, you know, it's not hopeless. It's it's something that that you know everyone is capable of, and and mm-hmm. so how does someone start? You know, once one recognizes that, that, holy cow, I am so controlled by everything that's going on, I I have lost my freedom to be me. How does somebody turn around and and start to move in the other direction? I think that the important word that you said just now was individual. Um, as much as uh, transhumanism is mass, mass consciousness, mass hive mind, they call it hive mind, um, mm-hmm. the exoconscious will become individual. So these will be individuals who gather in different, different configurations, but each, of, each individual has to do their work. And, um, and they have to figure it out on their own. And, you know, one of the ways, you know, I talk, people are very interested in is how how do I how do I even make contact? How do I even relate to this field of exoconsciousness? And you know, then you can go into the different have a person understand the different modalities of making contact. You know, um, for one of the great ways to make contact is through prayer or meditation. I mean there's a whole mystical um, in terms of Western Christianity there's a whole mystical tradition of, of what they refer to as saints that, that basically prayed themselves into altered states of consciousness, into different, into multidimensional minds. They prayed themselves there. They, they, they uh-huh. used a, a protocol of prayer. Um, there's, there's certainly, you know, the Buddhist tradition, um, there's of meditation. That's another way. I mean, one of my good friends who just written many, many books, he, he wrote about four books on being with the beings and we are disclosure and all these UFO ET books, but he never had a conscious extraterrestrial experience, uh-huh. which was interesting. 
so what he did was he just decided on his own. Uh, he just said, you know, I just found somebody on the Internet that was doing meditation, and it, it resonated with me. It seemed real to me. And he began to do that meditation, began to familiarize himself and, and gain a comfort level. And lo and behold, he had this, this vivid, has this vivid ongoing uh, contact now. So I think also people also begin in this field. A lot of people have near-death experiences. That's not uncommon now to have a near-death experience. And when I think oh, yeah. that happens, then, then you take that and you build on it and you do something with it. You know, some people practice lucid dreaming. Some people practice out-of-body experiences. There's just so, you know, there's probably eight or ten major um, contact modalities that humans can have. And um, it doesn't all have to be, you know, the ETs came to me. Um, it, could be, it could be other ways that we do this. I think, you know, you went into, um, you know, most people are familiar with close encounters of the first kind, second kind, third kind. Right. But you took it to six, which I thought was really rather fascinating. Um, so that so that people get an idea as to, you know, I, I think almost, I believe, almost every person on the planet has had a close encounter of, a, of one kind or another and just mm-hmm. not recognized it. Mm-hmm. So wanna go, let's, let's briefly, real fast, go through the, the, different, the different kinds so that people can understand what you were talking about. Okay, so the close encounter categories really came from the work of um, Alan Hynek. And uh-huh. he was, um, you know, the first, the first three are more about uh, um, sightings of a UFO. Did you see it at night? Did you see it during the daytime? Did you have a, a you know, a more individual encounter with it? And then CE4 was um, Jacques Vallée's um, CE4. And what Jacques Vallée was doing was he was saying, kind of like what you're saying, Barbara, he, Jacques was saying um, that we're looking at a whole human history of contact and it's made in the whole myths that, especially in the British Isles of, you know, the, the, the mystical people and the elves and the underworld and the visitors and the uh, day Don that came to, to the British Isles and, you know, in, in, in every, you know, the, the, the uh, Indians and the craft that visited that all of these myths, really hold a reality to them and individuals have ongoing uh, contact via these mythologies and they they share them with each other. As a matter of fact, um, I was recently doing a panel with a woman and she was the vice chancellor of uh, University of Guyana there in South America, considered a Caribbean nation. And she was saying that in her her, um, country, which was French Guyana at one point, that everyone who wakes up in the morning, they go out to the market or they go out to do their work. You know, they're very, you know, person-to-person kind of culture. Everyone uh-huh. gets together in the morning, and the first thing they do is share their lucid dreaming and interpret it to each other. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that just that's... beautiful? Yes. <laughs> so that's CE4. That's a CE4. 
that's actually a, that's a CE6, actually, but it's also CE4. So it's, it's, it's taking this myth that we have, um, Passport to Mangonia was the book that he wrote about and um, about this concept. So CE5 would be Stephen Greer and um, going out and having the CE5 gatherings where, you know, um, you, you gather and you call in the craft and it's about having a mutual, um, mutually agreeable exchange between you and the lights in the sky. It's, but uh-huh. it's more focused outwardly, outwardly into the lights. So Jacques Vallée is focused more on the folklore um, Greer was focused more on the lights, kind of outside of ourselves. So what um, exoconsciousness as a CE6 would be is focusing in, inwardly, inwardly to the individual and what, what their actual um, current time experience is and how, that, how they have integrated that experience into their life and the meaning of their life and the function of their life. Well, it's it's you know I know that I know there are a whole bunches of people out there sitting and thinking, you know, am I an exoconsciousness person or am I a transhumanism person? You know, where is my consciousness at this point in time? And and certainly if if there's a question, you're probably exoconsciousness looking for a way to put a hook into it so that you can you know further develop it probably. Um, if if you're a transhumanist person, you probably couldn't show off. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. And I think also, you know, if you're a CE5 person, CE5 people aren't necessarily as so conscious. You know, a lot of CE5 people get very, very wrapped up in the kind of the nuts and bolts of craft identification and craft uh-huh. physics. So I think that's a different, that's more scientific, that's more, you know, mathematical and, you know, the engineering of the craft. I would say that's a, that's another kind of niche that someone could go into. Um, if 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 your if your focus is turned inward to you as an individual, and how this this contact experience is influencing you, and how it how it is working in your life, and how you're integrating it into your everyday life, then that that is more exoconscious. So it's, you know, it's the whole mind, body, spirit. Like how does this, you know, we could, maybe this is a good time to also refer to the um, Free Foundation, Ray Hernandez's Free Foundation, that did this Uh survey of 5,000 contactees. And one of the things that his his scientific um, uh, survey did was it pointed out the fact that um, these, these, people who had had non-human contact were affected physically that in many ways they became healers. They healed themselves. They, they felt their, the, the, the presence of their DNA and the power of their DNA. They, they, um, they, they, they found that their, their, their mind changed. Um, a lot of them, quite frankly, prior to, prior to contact, they didn't even consider themselves psychic. They just uh-huh. thought they were just kind of normal. And they have contact and they become um, hypersensitive and psychic. So uh, it's just emotionally they, they change. Emotionally they change. And spiritually there's a, there's a huge leap that happens spiritual, 
spiritually. But then again, in the survey, it's always individual. It's what I care about the planet, what I care about my relationship to God, what I care about in terms of uh, having a peaceful world of cohabitation. But the most startling thing of all is that um, out of the out of the survey, almost eighty percent said that if they had the chance, they'd do it again. Oh, that yeah. they felt like it was a very beneficial um, experience for them, and they would definitely repeat it, and they wanted to repeat it. I I think what a lot of people have to understand is when we're talking about contact and communication. We aren't necessarily saying that little green men are going to sit down and have dinner with you and talk to you about their planet, although they could. But, but basically, it's inspiration. It's, it's getting insight from other realms. Um, I, I think uh, Thomas Edison used to, when he had a problem, he used to take a nap. And when he woke up, he had the answer to the problem that he was, trying, that he was working on. He was reaching outside of his own consciousness and allowing something to flow to him from another realm. Um, Nicholas Tesla, the same way. You know, he, he drew information from cosmic consciousness for sure. Um, so, that, so that just because you haven't, you know, seen the UFO or, or been abducted doesn't mean you can't have had contact. Um, it, it, it just means that... that the way in which you open yourself up to communication with other dimensions and other realms is going to be different from other people's. That's all. And, and it's very subtle. You know, it, it, it really is. Um, I know that, that, I mean, I've seen the UFO, and, I, and when I saw it, the first thing that occurred to me was, there's more out there. I have to find what it is. <laughs> I mean, and, and I was in a group of people, this thing landed on my campus and then took off and swooped over the dorm. Um, there were people that were screaming. There were people that were afraid. There were people that did not see it. And so it's, it's, it's a matter of where were you when you had that experience? Did you acknowledge it? Did you recognize it? Or, or did you close it out because it wasn't time for you to recognize it? So that, so that, um, you know, I, I I have to admit I don't have a direct line. However, I know that I can get in the zone and open that portal and bring information through in a heartbeat if I want to. So it's 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 something that you work at, and then the more you trust it, the more intensely the information that you get, or inspiration that you get, or 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 you know suggestions. Um, they, in my experience, they don't tell you what to do or how to do it. They tell you the philosophy that you can use to develop it to your own benefit if it's appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. I find them not interfering in, in your own development, but giving you a philosophy that you can apply to a situation to make it better for yourself. That's just my experience. You know, there may be people that get, you know, um, a book of instructions. I've never had that. I've never had that. That would be cool. But um, but it, it feels to me as though the consciousnesses that are out there that, that are available to us are are a very gentle consciousness, and and they we have to develop on our own. We have to find our own way. But they'll give us a philosophy to do it. I, I how do you, I mean? Do you get something like that or similar or different? 
Oh no, I mean I, I totally I totally agree with what you're saying. It and it's funny when you were talking about um, just want to plug in a little thing that I learned from science when you were talking about the UFO came and some people didn't see it when you were in college. It it flew over your dorm and some people didn't see it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a lot of contactees. We hear the stories of, you know, I would say, you know, I'm a contactee, but nobody else in my family has a memory or, or thought. So how does this happen? The way it happens is, once again, the uniqueness of our DNA, that our DNA has a bioresonance. So Barbara's bioresonance is different than Rebecca's bioresonance. So this electromagnetic frequency that is unique to us is how we're, how our, that our DNA is involved in is how we connect to other beings. So, so what, what transhumans have found that they once they bark, this is this is way out there, but this is what they're doing. So we might as well talk about it. That okay. um, so your DNA has a bioresonance, and that when your DNA is barcoded, that that bioresonance is part of your algorithm used to create your avatar, and it that then an electromagnetic signal can be sent to your DNA. And only you will be affected, not those around you. So it's okay. basically, if you're at a football stadium with 60,000 people, they can broadcast only to you. But now, just here's the some... same way... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. So it's just the same way that as humans, say, become more archangel, advanced consciousness, more of this, this um, you know, evolved spirits. We're going to do it through our bioresonance. That's why we need our bodies. That's why we have to preserve our bodies. When we lose mm-hmm. that DNA bioresonance, we use one of the gateways that we, that, that we have to connect to these other dimensions and to these other beings. Okay, so... Something that I have wondered about for a very long time. Um, you know the um, 23andMe and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, Ancestry.com have taken DNA samples from all of us to provide us with that information so we can do our whatever. I Good. firmly believe that, that that volunteering of our DNA was used to map out the population to a greater degree. And mm-hmm. when, when the testing for COVID started out, they were taking um, swabs from inside and they were collecting DNA samples. I think they're looking for certain DNAs, but I don't know what kind. Well, yeah, I think that they're absolutely category, categorizing DNAs. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, probably for a lot of different reasons. Oh, and mind that. control is going to be one of them. So Are there customized certain mind control is one of the other. Okay. Because to me it was supplying, it was supplying DNA samples, you know, by the millions, possibly mm-hmm. more, to be categorized in some form or another looking for, I mean, 
you know, in in some ways they talk about the um, Rh negative factor being, you know, survivors of Atlantis and maybe looking for those people mm-hmm. for, or or are there certain are there certain DNAs um, that that are more susceptible to mind control than others? I mean, well, yeah, it's, just like you know, there's very there's a segment of the population that is that's highly highly able to be hypnotized. I mean, that's a that's a scientific fact. So yeah, I would say that that's absolutely what's happening. But you know, we we what we have to get our mind around that's so important. I feel is the vastness of this project. It's it, 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 the the vastness is is beyond belief. The financing and the vastness of it is just. I, I think we we. It's very stealth. It's kind of like, did you ever go to the beach and, and you'd see the rip current, you know, what a rip current looks like? So you'll be at the beach and there'll be all these waves. And then the rip yeah. current will be this really kind of peaceful part of the ocean. And so people walk right into the rip current because it looks so peaceful. Yeah. But underneath that is the rip current and you could drown. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I oftentimes I think of transhumanism in this same way. It's, it's a current within the ocean of consciousness, and it looks so fun and cool. And you know, I'm going to do, you know, I'll live in augmented reality, and you know, I'm going to have you know all my metadata in one place, and I'm really going to be cool. When you know, you could drown. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so with that said, where do we? Go with this. I mean, we talk about they are compiling this. They are doing this. They are putting the the satellites out there. Who are they? Well, I don't know who controls the planet. I mean, that's. I would just be like launching a huge guess at that point. Um, I think that you know you can identify major players certainly in this. You know, a major player is is the military. You know, and they're super mm-hmm. soldier, and they use it for national defense. Um, a major player is medicine and pharma, uh, pharmaceuticals. Certainly, have become you know a premier player in all of this, and of course, any you know the central banks that rule the planet are a major. Uh, are a major player. One of the things that Catherine Austin Fitz, I don't know if you follow her work, but she she talks a lot about transhumanism and in terms of the economy. And one of the things that she says is happening with transhumanism is that humans, when the, when there was slavery, the slaves kept running away. So, you know, they, you lost your collateral. Your collateral just yeah. ran away and got across the Ohio River, and they're gone. Your collateral's gone. And for the first time ever, um, the bankers and the financiers and the well and the wealth aren't going to lose their collateral because they're going to have your DNA. They're, they're going to have your bioresonance. They're going to be able to control you electromagnetically. And that's a... I mean, and, and I think the other thing to realize who they are is that they are planetary. They are, you know, these, these, big, these big groups like, you know, World Economic Forum or um, 
um, you know, conglomerations of, of pharmaceutical groups. And just, just like COVID has taught us, I mean, you know, that, that was a, a, a global um, program. There were people yeah. from China and the United States and, and Europe and UK. And so all of these are very, you know, they, this, they, the computer's giving them ability to, to move all of this global. And, and, and what's, what's happened is that we've kind of defaulted. We've defaulted to this takeover. And um, if we don't default, it's kind of like the pilots with the whole, you know, the vaccination with um, the whole Southwest Uh Airlines. I mean, who would have thought that the pilots were going to be the one to stand up? Obviously, they're the only ones. No, nobody else is standing up very much. Some doctors are standing up. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's still yet to come. It's still, and we're still in early years. So I think... What you have to kind of swallow, and this is a big swallow, is the fact that once you get into this and once you decide that I want to, as we say in the Institute for Exit Consciousness, I want to preserve and advance my natural human consciousness, that when you say, say that, that you're going to begin making decisions that are big, big decisions, and that your life will never be the same. And that's, well, yeah, that's probably going to be the springboard to moving great numbers of people into higher consciousness. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I don't know who I was talking to, but they said, well, it'll be nice to get back to normal. And I looked at them and I said, normal will never happen again. <laughs> You're experiencing no. the new normal, and, and it's not going to be mm-hmm. this way for much longer. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it's... It's ex- you know it's a terrible thing to say, but it's, it's it's exciting because now you can really talk about things like consciousness. And I, I mean, oh my goodness, when I start when I got into this field, it was like my heavens, it was sixty years ago, and I would have lost my job if they had known what I was interested in. I, they literally mm-hmm. probably contractually could have fired me. And mm-hmm. and today, you know, people say that's nice. <laughs> and move on. So, um mm-hmm. it, it to me it's it's there has been a a great openness that is that is available to people to stretch into their consciousnesses. Um I know a long time ago I did uh Patrick Cook and I did shows on um near death experiences and uh we we found that the volunteers to come and talk on the shows about their near-death experiences, um, it was it was overwhelming. And to a person, every one of them, um, you know, spoke, spoke of what happened. And then when they came back and, and we said, okay, so, so how has that changed your life? They all to a person said, you know, I, I, I want to make, life better for everybody i want to take care of people i want to be out there and serving Mm -hmm. you serving humanity i mean there was a kindness in them and you know i I will i I, i'm sure that there are people that have had near-death experiences that came back and were just creeps the way they were before but not many um i i I am finding that that most people having experienced that um 
understand that there there is so much out there to utilize to draw on and to make their li- their lives and the lives of the people around them better and and it doesn't cost money it just costs time and time is probably the greatest gift you can give another human being i think it also causes it costs um the loss of uh, the old belief system that's a cost yeah just letting that go oh. giving that up well, and and I, you know, I I know that, um, you know, one of one of the things that that people often ask is, you know, if you get um, a transplant of somebody else's body part, does that mean that you have a piece of them inside of you, and and you know, does that change your um, your 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 focus and your consciousness, and and then if you have an artificial limb. Does that affect your consciousness? So, and, and your ability to be yes psychic. I would say yes to both. I would say yeah. yes to both. So, so the soldiers that come back and that have artificial limbs, they aren't. Now, now to me, of course, their spirit is still in fully intact, and mm-hmm. they they aren't changed at all. It's just that some of their pieces are, you know, their physical pieces are missing, but not their not their auric field. So to me, having an artificial limb or arm or whatever, but but then you get into the, you know, playing with the brain, and that does bother me. That does change perception. It's, it's like changing an engine in a car. You know, mm-hmm. you, can, you can screw it up majorly. Yeah. So trans. Well, I mean, I think at, look at look at look at the look at the Tesla cars. That's the whole. You don't have an engine anymore. <laughs> you have yeah. a battery. I mean, that's kind of a yeah. <laughs> another you know example of that. But I, I, I would say you know someone that has an artificial limb, that I think that is going to impact their consciousness absolutely. And it, it could be beneficial in the end, but it's going to impact their consciousness. Because their brain's going to have to change to accommodate that artificial limb. And their nervous system is going to have to change to accommodate their artificial limb. So I think anytime any of that happens, um, and I also, I, I also think, you know, be, before this all gets too dark, because, I mean, there's really dark, I mean, it's almost like every day I come upon more darkness, but... Just to, just to also just to also say that we we as humans are um, I'll just give an example. So I remember when I was living in Washington D.C. and I read, read uh, Annie Jacobson's book on DARPA, and I was really interested in all the DARPA projects and how they ran them and and what they did. And um, I remember reading through her book. It's a great book. And just seeing that every time DARPA invented something, that lo and behold, the humans would hack it <laughs> every time. <laughs> For example, um, sensors. So we drive down the highway, and a sensor a sensor picks up. You know, our cars coming through, and it it, it it'll charge us for for driving on that um, pay to drive highway as a toll. So then no more toll booths, everything is just sensors. And so 
they invented sensor technology, um, kind of refined it more during the Vietnam War, and they laid the sensor technology up the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So they thought, well, when the soldiers come down the Ho Chi Minh Trail for North Vietnam, the sensors are going to pick it up. They're going to know, you know, none of this, you know, sneaking in at nighttime or anything. And so for a while, the soldiers were all going to be being killed and, you know, the the troops in the South all knew when they were coming. The sensor technology was just working like a charm until the North Vietnamese said, well, oh, they know that we're coming down the trail because of these sensors, so we'll just come down the trail a different way. So they all started riding their bicycles down the trail, and the sensor technology didn't work anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's well, just yeah, one I example. So that's, that, that is a huge illustration, I would say, of the whole goal of the Institute for Exoconsciousness is how do we, um, as, as a nonprofit, how, how are we going to be able to um, end run some of this technology? You know, for example, um, today I was just reading that, you know, one of the things that people are upset about in terms of the vaccination is the spike protein because the spike protein, of course, gets into your body, begins to multiply, it goes into your lymph nodes, and you have the whole situation there. And how do you get these spike proteins out of your body? Well, lo, lo and behold, um, it looks like Russia has developed a drug to remove the spike proteins. <laughs> so it looks to me like it's, it's part of this is going to be fun. I think it's really fun to do these kind of things to, you know, to kind of feel empowered. Like I can, I, this, this transhumanism, this artificial field of consciousness that it's not going to own me. And you just have to de- determine that no matter what, it's not going to own me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim my free will in this. And my free will well, I means think, that. Go ahead. No, I think one of the one of the delightful parts about all this is one of the purposes maybe of transhumanism is to stretch us in exoconsciousness so that so that if transhumanism presents a situation then we are we are challenged with our creativity mm-hmm. to to go beyond it and go around it so that mm-hmm. so that in many ways it is spurring us on to greater depths of understanding of the cosmic aspects that are available and it challenges us in 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 our own creativity you know it's sort of like you know i you know hackers you know hack into programs all the time and and then mm-hmm. people will create more programs and the hackers are right behind them with you know finding Every the back time. door and getting in so so it's it's really in many ways um transhumanism is a wonderful challenge to our creative ability to go beyond. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe and we to would ask for that help. Yeah, but but you know, without that challenge, would we be so intense on going into the cosmic connections? You know, would we be kind of like, you know dancing with it instead of, you know, challenging it and drawing it into our reality, it makes us use it more than we might have on a on a 
another, you know, if we didn't have the challenge of this transhumanism, you know, at our heels saying, I will control you. And mm-hmm. you saying, no, you won't. I'm going to be more creative mm-hmm. and I'm going to stretch myself beyond you. So, you know, catch me if you can. And mm-hmm. so the, maybe transhumanism is, is important and crucial for human evolution. That's how I see it. That's exactly how I see it. It took I me, mean, yeah, as I share with you, you know, it, it took me, you know, five years to write this book because I spent five years just being scared to death, sort of four years <laughs> being scared to death, being traumatized, scared to death, you know, PTSD over transhumanism. And I was living in D.C. at the time, working for Dr. Mitchell, and, you know, people just were dropping things in my lap, and I'm like, you're kidding me, is this true? And then I'd research it, and I'm like, oh, my golly, it's true. And so I sort of grew with, you know, in the 2000s, I kind of grew with transhumanism as it was growing. But as a mother and a grandmother, there was a part of me that had a really hard time not just wanting to turn it off and ignore it because I was just so afraid. But there was something that just kept pulling me deeper and deeper into it. And I'm, I'm so glad that happened. And it kept challenging me at every turn. So, yeah, I would say that on a personal level, that had a lot to do with my evolution until I finally got to the point, you know, I made a move and that, of course, you know, takes up a lot of time and sort of reorders your consciousness when you move. So I moved, yeah. I, left East, I left Washington, D.C., I moved to Phoenix, and I, I, I was able to make that spiritual shift and not be so afraid of it and and be excited by it and see the possibilities and potentials of it and as that this is our is our human evolution and when you when we talk about the cosmos i think it's important to also realize that one of the reasons that we need to be so empowered by exoconsciousness at this point is because we are becoming a space economy and that for many of the powers that be on earth, their focus and their, and their money and all of their intellectual fire, firepower is going to be focused on space, not on earth. And that is going to put a different juxtaposition of government uh, these big uh, international groups, uh, they're, they're going to be looking into space. And I think that we as exoconscious humans are going to be looking at it differently. We're going to be um, looking at it like maybe the cosmology we believed, like how the Earth was formed, how Jupiter was formed, how, you know, is our moon the same moon that we've always had? Is it a new moon? Was there an old moon? All of these cosmological questions just in our solar system, not to mention out into the universe. I think that exoconscious humans are going to be developing new cosmologies of how, how creation happened. And I think yeah. that we'll be doing that. It's kind of like the Dogon tribe, you know, in, in Mali in Africa when the anthropologists went to visit the Dogon tribe and the Dogon tribe is telling them about how, how the cosmos was created, all the plants and 
all the, all the planets and and um, who rotated around what and how it was how it all worked and you know they got that information not from the scientists of the time because the scientists of the time didn't even have that information they were identifying planets that you know would be identified decades later so uh-huh. I think this is an exciting time that we're going into we may be um, Kind of like Betty Hill. Remember Betty Hill drawing the cosmos, oh, yeah. the pictures of the cosmos? I mean, we may all become Betty Hills. We may be um, developing our own interstellar navigation uh, consciousness. And it, oh, I, it doesn't, yeah. it's not going to just belong to Lockheed Martin or, you know, Northrop Grumman. <laughs> it's going to belong to us as, as individuals, and we're, we're going to know the navigation. And it's our, it's our natural cosmic consciousness that we will start to reclaim. I totally agree. I, I do believe that cosmology is going to change for humanity um, over the next, you know, millennia for sure because it has to, because we're reaching into other realms and other dimensions. And so those concepts as to cosmology and creation and and purpose and, and direction and, and all of this um, are going to change dramatically because Earth is a very small planet. And um, while as humans we needed to develop uh, myths and fables and, and, and belief systems that, that supported us in, in our development and in, in becoming who we are today, uh, won't you know, if we skip into four or five galaxies away from us, they won't know anything about the cosmology that has been here on Earth. It will be an entire another form of, of worship, mm-hmm. if there is worship, or, or a connection with the divine. I think one of the things that, that I was fascinated with was um, one of the, in one place in your book, you talk about nanotechnology being put into our clothing in China, <laughs> mm-hmm. which fascinated me. <laughs> Let's traumatize them a little more. Tell, talk talk mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> well, that was a funny story. So um, what, what, what I try to do in the book is weave some of the stories of how the information came to me. Uh-huh. So... Um, I was at yoga one day, and there was a, a young man next to me on the yoga mat. And so when I, I used to go, I, I lived on the, in the Beltway of Washington, D.C., and I would walk down the street. So I'd work in the morning, I'd walk down the street at noon, and I'd go to my noon yoga class, kind of, you know, clear, clear off the cobwebs of the day. And um, so there were a lot of kind of drop-in people that would come at, at noon and do yoga. And this man was next to me on the mat that one day. And after class, you know, we walked up together and put our mats away and put our different props away and whatever. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I said, um, did you just come here after work? And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, I said, where do you work? Like, is this your lunch hour? And he said, oh, yeah, I, I work at, um, I work up at an agency that, um, the, I always forget the name of it, the Department of Science and Technology. It's got like a big long name to it, but it's, it was a huge campus um, that was up the street from me, and I said, "Oh, that's great!" But and I said, "I've just been reading about uh, about your agency, and they had done the 9/11 report, they'd done the Warren report, and and they 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 oversee a lot of um, of uh, commerce, 
the issues of commerce uh-huh. and technology. And so I said, oh, I've been reading about what your what your agency does, and um, it's really fascinated. Uh, which section are you in? And he said, oh, I'm in polymers, which is fabric. And I said, oh, you're in polymers? I said, well, that's the really interesting group that I've been reading about because um, I realized that um, in the 2000s when they offshored all of our uh, clothing manufacturing to China, that they began to put nanotechnology into our clothing as a way to kind of experiment with monitoring us and that that nanotechnology was, um, we were experimenting with the ability of that nanotechnology to go into our skin and cross through our blood-brain barrier. And he looked at me and he said, lady, I don't know who you are, but don't ever talk to me again. And he ran down the (laughs) stairs. (laughs) So it's just, you know, these, these big, once again, I mean, that whole agreement to outsource all our clothing to China, that was a planetary agreement. Uh, uh, just, uh, I, I don't think people understand the, the totality, and, and I don't either, but the totality of stuff that has been going on while we've been trying to make our mortgage payments. And, yes. And, yeah. and it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna check labels from now on. I'm gonna, you know, if, if it comes from China, I'm gonna be a little bit leery of, you know, just what what am I putting myself in for? Um, I think. Well, now is, you know they they now they don't need to put it in our clothing because we we're you know we have a whole segment of society that's willingly um, being injected. An injection is by far the best way to get it in our body. I mean, we can. There's three delivery systems. So there's three main delivery systems for for nanotechnology. There's the air we breathe, okay, and that uh-huh. goes back to that whole you know space fence, the earth, the earth, the space infrastructure. There's food. Nanotechnology is delivered via food, and it was it will be especially delivered via all these. Um, genetically engineered um, meats that they'll be trying to sell us because, of course, you know, they're, excuse me, they're interrupting the food chain so that we can't get regular food or GMO, genetically modified, and they'll be putting nanotechnology in that, and they are, they have been for some time. And so so air, food, and um, pharmacology. And by by far the biggest experiment is the COVID vaccine. Because that injectable, they they can oversee, the, and it's a planetary project again. This is all planetary, and I think we need to get our wrap our wrap our minds around that that word planetary. This is everybody on the earth is getting a COVID vaccine, unless you don't. Well, then they get you another way. I mean, it's not it's not oh, like yeah, it's, yeah. But no. I don't know that. Yeah, but I. I guess, you know, there's a lot of, like, hacks around that. So you can say, like, I'm going to eat as much as much um, organic food as I can. I'm not going to eat this genetically modified food that they're, they're trying to sell me. And furthermore, I'm certainly not going to eat any of this, you know, meats that are developed with stem cell technology. Who knows where the stem cell came from? We could be eating another human that's self-assembled yeah. and self-replicated, quite frankly, to be gross. 
we could be cannibalizing, uh, turning our society into cannibals. So, and I think the air, um, you know, I live with chemtrails in Arizona and Phoenix. We have chemtrails all the time. I just, I don't choose to go out the days we have chemtrails. I, I try to get be in chemtrails as little as possible. And there's all kinds of, um, you know, protocols that you can do to get it out of your system. And I mean, I think the body's ability to cleanse and detox is just remarkable. Um, oh, yeah. I, I've, uh, I've been working with this one woman, and she does, um, uh, she has a, uh, a technology that she uses called, so she does lymph massage. Those are lymph nodes, lymph massage. And she uses a technology that was actually downloaded into an inventor, a woman that invented it. And, um, and I said to her one day, I said, you know, this lymph life that, that you're using on, on patients, you're going to be helping to um, release a lot of these spike proteins and a lot of this nanotechnology that collects in our lymph nodes. I mean, that's, that's a scientific fact. If you, if you look about vaccine um, research, it collects in our lymph nodes. And you go right into those lymph nodes with this, with this new technology, and people are releasing it. You're, you're going to help people clear their bodies of, of these injectables. So uh-huh. there's always going to be a workaround. A workaround is always going to show up. And personally, I ask for workarounds. I say, give me the workaround. I'll do it. Well, it makes sense. And again, it's that challenge, you know. And and so we are being forced to utilize aspects which we've always had inside of us um, to to clear the field, to clear the way, to get a healthier system, you know, for for humanity as a whole and, and hopefully for the planet as well. Um, quite obviously, there, there are large corporate entities that have become so powerful that they're able to um, get around uh, rules that have been set in motion supposedly to protect humanity and they could care less. It's almost a joke. You know, they, they are going to do what they're going to do, and they, they aren't, they have no rules. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a challenge, but I think that it's, it's one that humanity as a whole will um, rise above. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it'll be sad if we get to the point where we no longer have those challenges to our creativity, because I think that's what makes the leap. That's what, you know, makes us look for the portal. That's what makes us look for the, um, the abilities and the talents that are, that are within us. And, you know, I, I do believe that we get messages all the time from higher consciousness, from, from the, the other realms um, in, in the, in the, in the form of inspiration, in the form of synchronicities, in the form of, you know, just, you know, uh, a shot of inspiration that that helps you to live your life, you know, more fully. Um, and, and that, you know, even though COVID is certainly making it difficult for, for a lot of us, um, it's just a challenge. It's just something that we will grow beyond, that we'll move beyond, it, it, and there will be another challenge. <laughs> but, but, but it's it's not 
as it sits now, it's not as devastating as we once thought it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of people catch COVID, but not as many are dying of it as used to. So, mm-hmm. so, so we've we've come above and beyond it, and hopefully, hopefully, we will. Uh, most of us will survive it, but it, but it's it's a matter of challenging us, and and I, I mean the transhumanism. There there are good points to it. But but it's as with everything else, you know. If if your crutch, if if your if your your solution becomes a crutch, then it starts to it starts to control you, and you don't want it to control you. You can use it for a purpose, but but you can't let it control your life, and that's what has happened to us in many cases here. Well, I think that, yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. And I also think that in terms of being, meeting the challenge, um, part of the meeting the challenge, um, I, I have something that I call exoconscious coaching. And what, one of the um, themes of it is that um, because we've been so limited in our psychic intelligence, we've had a rather low psychic intelligence. Uh, at this point. I mean, we have the potential for extremely high psychic intelligence. So that would be the ability, like you were saying, to use these um, inspirations or this, these subtle hints as well as, you know, becoming telepathic as well as reading energy fields as well as, you know, seeing into the future, that all of these different abilities and just the, the, the whole focus of, of psychic intelligence, we haven't really had to use it because things have been pretty quiet for some time. And I think transhumanism, when we, as, as we're more and more confronted by it, we're going to have to, you know, learn to trust our psychic ability. We're going to have to learn to trust our psychic intelligence. And I think trust is something, whether it's a parent to a child or uh, a partner to a partner or um, a colleague to a colleague, trust is something that that is incremental. It's consistently, it's con- I de- define it as consistency over time. So if uh-huh. over time, as you're met with these challenges of transhumanism, if over time you start to say, I'm going to trust my psychic intelligence, I'm going to go by my gut feeling, I'm going to go by my emotional feeling, you know, wh- wh- whatever your, your primary um, psychic mode of information is for you, that once you begin to have to use it in order to survive um, intact as, a, as an exoconscious human, that every act of committing to trust that psychic intelligence or that psychic ability is what builds, it, it builds that intelligence over time. It's like raising a child, you know, their intelligence doesn't just, you know, flourish when they're one year old, you know, you build it over time by talking to them, by telling them stories, by taking them out into nature, by having them around other people. And I think that's the same I think a similar thing is going to happen to the human species with transhumanism that they're not going to have anything to turn to because, quite frankly, the artificial field of consciousness is running everything. 
so either they can find a few, you know, kind of remnant exoconscious humans to rely on, and if they can't, maybe maybe your community could provide this. But at the end of the day, they are going to have to strengthen that and and heighten that that psychic intelligence, which is really the hallmark of an exoconscious human. And it takes time, it takes trust, and it takes practice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't just turn it on. But but once you and, – and I think one, as soon as somebody recognizes there's something more there to reach for, as soon as they see enough things happen in their own personal world that they can say – that's that's so weird. I don't understand how that happened. And and the more they have those kind of situations, whether it's synchronicity, whether it's it's just knowing you know somebody's going to call and they call those kind of things. Once you once you recognize them and starts to validate them and understand what's happening, that there is a channel being opened up within you, then then you find your way of of you know adding energy to it. Whether it's meditation, whether it's, um, I mean, look at the, the whirling dervishes. They, they spin around oh, yeah. in circles. It's still, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't recommend that, by the way. But, but um, <laughs> I, me, I'd throw up. But, There's a real uh, you know, built on it, so, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> um, look at the Santeria with, with you know, yeah. the, the, how, how they get into Everybody has their yeah. own way. And when you find that way, whatever it is, embrace it and allow it to mm-hmm. open you to those other aspects. I mean, it's, it's, your alternative is to trust to the machines. And, and I don't think that's as much fun. I mean, you know, basically, I thoroughly enjoy the exoconsciousness aspects of my being that I am able to, to use and, and, and draw from. And and you know and yes, I rely on the computer for whole bunches of stuff like the show, but but you know there there are times when it would be fun to just put a group together and let's 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 work on telepathy, let's do this, let's. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've had groups that we did remote viewing, you know, on the computer sure. actually. So mm-hmm. so it's you know st- stretch yourself because in stretching yourself you you give yourself a higher potential of understanding of the human spirit and where you are within this reality and how you can how you can benefit from these gifts and how other people can benefit from your benefiting from them so it's it's a wonderful experience and and exoconsciousness um will you talk to to I don't call them aliens aliens anymore because of course that term is being used all over the place but um non-terrestrials um mm-hmm. You know, touching in with with other species, even um, it you know it it is a reality that you can experience, and it doesn't make you crazy. It makes you expanded, and and I think that that's the the important thing people have to understand. It 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 broadens the scope of what they have the potential to relate to and touch into this lifetime, or and in lifetimes yet to come. Well, I think it's going to be interesting for us to watch um, what happens with the sort of, um, I would say, the intelligence community takeover of um, of ufology 
and uh, oh, yeah. UFOs and that. You know, that's that's all part of this artificial cyborg, you know, artificial field of consciousness, this comprehensive field of consciousness that's been um, seeded with Hollywood and now Netflix and and um, and seeded into our consciousness. This, this is this is the real thing. So. Uh, it's going to be very interesting when, um, you know, the government, you know, what happens with the reporting to the Senate Intelligence Committee, you know, what's, what's going to happen with that. But I think the whole goal in that is to, um, is to begin to, uh, to shorten and um, shrink uh, extraterrestrial contact so that, you know, it'll be always called a threat. It will be always seen as, you know, these are the major species you have to worry about. You know, there's no other species. There's just this species, and then they're they're threatening Earth. So, I think that those, as you were saying, so so well that once you've had contact, you can't, or once you've seen something or experienced something, you can't unsee it. You can't, no. you can't unexperience it. And luckily for the human race, enough people have had contacts now that, you know, when they try to implement their, their, their PSYOP or their, um, their field of their artificial reality, their augmented reality of ET, most aren't going to fall for it. I think who may fall but, for it maybe are the young people that, you know, do nothing but watch Netflix and play and play ET computer games. But I, I think that um, we have a lot of experiencers on our side, and I think a lot of people who've been silent in the past will become, be coming forward and become very, very vocal, quite frankly. And that's how it, – it's, that, it's not that ETs will save us or give us a solution. It's that we trust ourselves enough to be honest and authentic with what we've experienced and share it with other people. And I think that was really, that's what's going to bring us through this. It's next, once well, again, that's know, exoconscious humans. Well, and, and frankly, any ETs that are on this planet are in as much trouble as we are. Or any hybrids or any walk-ins or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but, you know, this, this Good full point. disclosure that the government has released everything um, to me was such a disappointment because they didn't release everything. They didn't release anything. No. No. A lot of of paperwork. A lot of paperwork, but, you know, it was was ridiculous. And when you have people like Von Braun saying, you know, well, we had help, you know, the others helped us. And, you know, I I mean, I don't know what they take us for, but, you know, obviously they don't take us for being very smart. Um, but but it's it's sort of like they're out there and they're here and and if they were going to you know terraform the planet and take it over or or change the atmosphere they would have done it millions of years mm-hmm. ago so that they're they're here well, for a reason yeah but there's also a contingent in and I don't know if you've come across them but there is a contingent in and ufology of um, people who are blaming transhumanism on evil aliens. So they're saying that this is an alien 
uh, an alien threat that has um, seeded transhumanism on the planet. You know, I would totally disagree with that. I mean, with some of this back-engineered information, yeah, that could be. But we humans are responsible for what this, for doing this, not oh, not some I think, alien. I think we, got, they, we have to hold ourselves responsible. The, the humans have enough negative energy to have created this all by themselves. And I don't think we not need. Only, we, and we also, I mean, like I try to show in my book with all of this, there's a historical timeline to it. It didn't pop out of nowhere. It's no. historical. It didn't, yeah, it no, didn't I, get, you know, passed pass down by a by an alien trying to take over the planet. No, this has been going on for, for centuries. <laughs> well, that that's what, you know, I try to explain to people that what's going on today is, has been in the, in the works and in plans for probably thousands of years. Probably we are. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, I, think, I don't think we're close to the end. I don't even know if we're close to the middle. There is a whole process that we're going to be going through, obviously. And, and you know, I would take it as a challenge to, to rise above it and go beyond it as opposed to be controlled by it and manipulated by it. And, and mm-hmm. frankly, you know, I have no desire to be manipulated. I'd rather make my own mistakes. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm really good at it. So. Yeah. That's part of being human. I think, you know, whether we go beyond it, whether whether we navigate it, you know, whatever whatever model we use, I think it's going to be only for our good. It's just it's just reconciling it with our heart, reconciling our heart in this, and saying that That's I have the, I have a heart compa- capacity to love myself enough to know that I'm going to be able to to uh, maneuver through this, to navigate through this. Absolutely. Uh, I just noticed the time. Um, do you, do you want to give out, you know, websites and, and stuff like that so people can find you and get in touch with you and stuff? Sure. My, well, my main website is exoconsciousness.com and, um, we're in the process of revamping the IXO inf- uh, website. We're kind of trying to, to see how we can be most effective in this, uh, preservation and advancement of natural human consciousness. So, um, that's offline, but it'll be back online, I would say, in a month or so. Um, I offer di- different services. I do um, exoconscious coaching and information about that. I also you know, do these interviews. I write books and um, would love for people to reach out and get in touch with me and I'll put you on my mailing list, and that would be wonderful. Thank you okay. for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's been a total pleasure. I'm so glad that we were able to get together. Yeah. Let's let's do it, you know, before three years is up again. I know it'll be interesting the next time we do it to see what's what's really unfolded. <laughs> it certainly will be. So thank you so I think much. It's I think going so to be yeah, a, a, a so real a real joy. It, oh, it's going to be fun to watch it all. Actually, it um, is. But. Thank you so much for being here tonight and sharing Thanks your, for, your information. Uh, My pleasure, totally. Okay. Good night now. Have a lovely evening. Night. You too. Good night. And everybody, uh, thank you for joining. And uh, we'll see you on Monday. And uh, Mark has a great show for Tuesday. So please check us out on YouTube. 
And if you like what you see, please subscribe because that's how we know you're watching. Have a great evening, everybody. Good night.